Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Welcome back again to the Grace Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Tim, thank you for joining Steve and I and sharing from the book of Daniel, chapter 3 on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was welcome. So great. Just a reminder to our listeners, if you have not listened to yesterday's segment on Daniel 3, uh, we encourage you to do so because this uh, impending conversation will be all around that. And so go back and listen if you haven't, uh, but if you have uh, onward Christian soldiers, here we go. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, Tim, one of the things that struck me as you were sharing yesterday on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that you are very passionate about the story. Mm-hmm. And it, there was something that just seemed like this this comes and strikes you and has had a, a big impact on you. And I'm just curious mm-hmm. if there's something there that, that you would share or um, what is it that resonates most deeply with you about the story? Yeah, yeah I... Um... For me, it's the image of those three guys standing there, you know, and having to make a decision. Am I going to am I gonna bl- stick with what I say I believe? Am I going to trust in the God I say I do when there's a consequence that, that might be fatal to me? What is it that, that helps me do that? How do, you, how do you get the courage to do that? And I think I'm also affected by those who said um, this inexplicable physical thing happened to me and God did not protect me. I said, whoopee. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's moms are delighted that their sons were spared. But what about me when my son isn't spared? And I can be my own critic. You know, sometimes it's too easy to just say, well, in the end, it'll be okay. But that doesn't help people's, people's pain now. And one of the stories I'd share with you that I've, I've never forgotten is missionary colleagues of ours when my parents served in Congo. Um, they had two sons, and we served together for a few years. They went back to the States. And um, shortly after they were back, their two sons were abducted by a guy, and they were abused, and one of them was actually killed, and one got away. And I always I call them Uncle Donna and Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Uncle, <laughs> Uncle Loyal and Aunt Donna. We called each other. I said, what in the world should, would Uncle... Donald, Uncle <laughs> Loyal and Aunt Donna be saying right now when they said, Lord, why didn't you save my son? Why didn't you protect my son? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego faced death. They said, he is able to save us, and it worked for them. So this tension of when it doesn't work with the times when we see it does help other people, what do you do with that, and how do you put that together? How does it how does it either feed or weaken your trust in what the Lord's sovereign will is? I think that inexplicable dilemma of the reality when God doesn't heal, he doesn't protect, when you suffer tragedy because physically God did allow the death of somebody you love as opposed to saying, well, that doesn't matter. It's all in the end if it works out well. So that kind of tension resonates with me, and I think I've carried that through life in another, a lot of different ways. 
I think it's possible to over-spiritualize. You know, sometimes we default and say, well, ultimately we're going to arrive in uh, heaven and it'll be all good then, so buck up and cheer up right now. But that's too easy, and that's, like I say, not helpful with people, I think, who still ask the question, God, why didn't you preserve this life now like I know you could? That inexplicable question. And I guess this story kind of helps me think that in their place, I would like to have been like them if I was faced with that. Lord, I know you can. I think you will. Um, But if I can see death as more than just the ceasing of life right now, and death is simply the natural end to all of us, one way or the other, and it's the, it's the, it's the door into what God really has for us and wants for us, I hope that'll be helpful to people, even in the midst of the tragedy of death or the pain that's involved in watching somebody you love or even yourself you know, dying. You mentioned over-spiritualizing. What, what is the danger that you see there? Is there, is there a danger in over-spiritualizing real-life consequences? Well, I think it's too simple, and I think it doesn't always help. You know, when somebody is suffering the death of a lost, uh, the death of a loved one, what you don't want to say is, uh, oh, they're better off now. <laughs> there, there's, this, there's this little booklet that tells you, you know, the 10 things you should never to say to somebody grieving. Um, it doesn't, and the fact that we know the end of the story and there's a good outcome, I don't know that it helps now in the reality of what we, we, we experience. We can't always answer the question, but why doesn't God answer my prayer the way he did for others? What does that mean for me? Um, to, to just over-spiritualize, I think, cast all of our vision in the future, was, which is good, but... Uh, you know, when you're looking ahead down the trail, you can stumble on the stone in front of you. I've done that on paths. So <laughs> I think we really long for something that gives us assurance now when we're walking here. And uh, just talking about the future doesn't really satisfy that in the moment, I don't think. Yeah, so like if, if you're in a funeral line and, and you're yeah. sharing, a, that that's not particularly comforting. And yet, this is where I, I'd maybe push back a little bit. It, is it is it okay that that we have a sure no I know it's okay <laughs> it, it is okay <laughs> that we have a sure hope a confident hope that is not just in this world um, but is is a future hope and so when we talk about deliverance you know it's not just a right here now mm-hmm. deliverance there there is a eternal deliverance that is a much more important thing to hope in than any than anything, I didn't we just read Romans chapter eight um, in Sunday service at uh, the end of Romans eight in yeah. Sunday service this week, and you know that is a good mm-hmm. thing. That is a promise, or that that is a truth for us to be clinging to in the midst of trial. And yet there, <laughs> that so it's not helpful, maybe, or encouraging in the moment of someone's loss to say, "Oh, well, they're they're better off now," and yeah. yet, and yet there is. It, it might be okay as an exercise for yourself to yeah. say it to yourself, maybe. Yeah. Though not to not though maybe not necessarily to others. I mean, I've seen I've seen yeah. people's faith damaged by yeah. that kind of um, somebody is going through the valley of the shadow of death, 
And one of the one of the catchphrases that we just have in our our own little culture is, "Well, God is sovereign," and so you know that that's just kind of this way of spiritually bypassing whatever horrible emotion that person is feeling in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I do just wonder how helpful that is to say to another person. I can say it to myself all day long and 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 cling to that and believe that. Mm-hmm. But when I start saying that to somebody who is literally just walking through the valley, it I don't know how helpful that is in their life. I mean, so Yeah. Yeah. So um sometimes we need for other people to speak truth into our lives when they're asking for it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes sometimes I don't have I don't uh ask for it, but I need it. Mm. Um but I I mean it's not helpful for someone on the fringe to be pulling me out of that. I mean, you gotta yeah. have the relational pull yeah. to be able to do that. Otherwise it's just you're throwing rocks at the person. Right. You know, right. It's, uh, it's I'm saying it's, for my wife to speak a, a really difficult truth into my life when sure. I didn't ask for it is different yeah. than, you know, some Joe Schmo. Right. Because sometimes Joe Schmo, they're just trying to kind of uh, manage your emotions, yeah, and and we mm. just we can't do that to people that yeah. we aren't. That's such a that's such an inter- manage someone else's emotions. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is that isn't I've never heard that before. <laughs> but that is that is yeah. a weird thought. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what we're what you're getting at. Um, yes, huh. I think it's perfectly fine to have that hope, and we have it, and we need it. That ultimately all is well. God is in control. And at the end of the day, we're going to see that it's good and it's there. But we might say this way, there's the head knowledge of that and there's the heart moment. Mm. And there might be moments when it's not the most helpful to tell somebody that because if it's a fellow flavor, follower of Jesus, they're going to know that. But in the moment of the grief, in the moment of the despair or the, or the inexplicable, I don't know that it's... it's sometimes I think silence is good like Job. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm. it's timing. Um, but yes... That truth is there, but when to say it and when to come back to it. Um, I think sometimes you you you're more helpful to your friend to just sit with them, mm-hmm. acknowledge, validate, you know, the grief, validate the anger, say I you know I see and and validate the fact that right now this is horrible for you, rather than to give the answer too quickly. I like um, the the imagery from from Job, just about. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were sitting on the ash heap mm. with him, just yep. in the midst of wreckage. Yeah, and for a little while they just sat there. It's that kind of embodied presence that just—I find that actually harder than talking. <laughs> it's harder to yeah. sit there and realize you have this palatable um, thing in the room and you want to address it, but just to sit and say, "I'm just here with you. Mm-hmm. I'm being present with you." There's words that. I want to say I'd feel better talking, but um, it's not the time to talk. I think that's so true. Yeah, we. I think sometimes silence bothers us. It does. It does. It does. I wanted to just... Uh, one other thought that I would add on to this is um, the concept there of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not do. What they didn't do is the old, have you heard the old phrase, don't bow to the music? That's my generation. Don't bow to the music. We use Have that. you heard that one? <laughs> Burn the hands worth two in the bush, is that something? 
you know, kind of like that. <laughs> I, I, I haven't I have, heard that I have one. not heard that one, Tim. No? No, oh, say it again. I forget how old I Bow am. to the music? Yeah, bow to the music. What does it mean? If your parents tell you, hey, don't bow to the music, it basically comes from this. Don't go along with what the crowd okay. is telling you to yeah. do if you know it's wrong. My mom okay. always just said, if all your friends walked off a yeah, cliff, would you they... go with them? Well, it's usually <laughs> a bridge in my family. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> And I like that because I heard it, and the story talks about what, what the king was saying. Hey, when you hear the music, bow to the music. Hmm. Do it. And everybody did it because they thought that that yeah. was obedient, but the three guys didn't because they knew it was wrong. They refused to bow to the music. They refused to go along with the edict because they knew that as God-fearing, Yahweh-believing people, they could not do that. It was a sign of idolatry, other gods before me, breaking the law of Moses. So that that is an example, I think, for other things, maybe less harsh than if you, if you don't, you die, but a peer pressure. You know, when people go along with what everybody else is doing, I think it's a lesson for our kids. Just because you hear the music play and it's a party and you're told to do something, don't do it if it's wrong. Don't do what you're being asked to do socially. What your community does or what your society does or what your Facebook friends do, it applies to peer pressure. They're asking you to get into stuff that you shouldn't. Don't bow to the music. A belief system. You know, whether it's life is not sacred, you know, um, whatever, euthanasia, abortion, um, pro-life, uh, pro-choice, bigotry. Bigotry says some races are inherently better than others. If you're in a crowd that's saying that, don't bow to the music. Sexually, doesn't matter what you do with your bodies or who we are. So this idea of not bowing to the music comes from this story, I think, in that we can challenge ourselves to say, just because the music's playing and everybody's doing it, think, is this right? What does God ask you to do? Are you changing? Are you disobeying? Are you going somewhere that our covenant God has asked us not to do? We're in, we're in uh, the midst in the midst of uh, finding out election results. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think we need to spend much time here, but but I do think there is a place for we're, we're in a place here in the states of political unrest. Mm. And what? no, we, would you say so? <laughs> we you we, think you think so? We have an example of of civil dis- disobedience mm-hmm. here from from these guys. Um, you know, we're reading passages and praying through passages like Romans thirteen, um, and yet, and yet, there's also this kind of a passage that that these yeah. guys don't o- obey. They don't. They don't. Mm-hmm. What do you say? Go with the music. <laughs> no, no, I bow pre- to the but music. Thank you. Bow, bow to the bow music. I already the forgot music. the. I already <laughs> forgot it. Don't go along with the crowd. You said yeah. that like ten times, and I still. That's okay. Yeah. So, so th- is this passage a passage that Christians should pay attention to, or does this speak to anything in our yeah. world today? Yeah, I think it Could can it? apply to civil disobedience. This is the king. This is the authority of the land, the government asking you to do something. And I think even as Christians, we would say, follow Jesus. Yes, obey the authorities, you know, respect those in leadership, unless it contradicts a known revelation of what God asked his people not to do. And then I think we have a right to do that. That's the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition, which is mine. <laughs> okay. In, well, let's complicate things just a little bit oh, more. Fun. Because, well, when the lines are really clean, like hmm. church against state or 
you know, believer against non-believer, that's really simple, right? We must obey God, not man. But what happens when the church itself is at a a bit of a division? <laughs> and, I mean, back to the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not the only Israelites there, no. but they were the only ones to not bow. Fair. So there's going to come a time when people around you whom you thought were on the same page and you're clearly not. And and whether or not, I mean, who's in the right, who's in the wrong, that's going to vary by situation. But mm. how do you, how do you navigate that, Tim, yeah. of, of when your fellow Christians are doing things that you look around and you say, boy, I don't know. What I think is important there is that you sit down and you talk together as brothers and sisters and you lay out your belief based on your understanding of Scripture. Give your scriptural understanding for it. When you have differences of opinion, this is why I believe. This is what I think God is telling me. This, this, is, this is the reason that I'm taking this position. And if they do that, I can respect. I think we should respect one another. And we might be able mm. to just part ways. I mean, I think what, is, that, what does that look like? Respect one another. <laughs> it means to it's not, been a ju- while. not <laughs> to judge a while. <laughs> yeah, someone said our country is is divided by red and blue right now. But wait, it's going to get black and blue next week. Oh. Okay, no, that's terrible. That's terrible. Excuse me. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that's why we have varieties of denominations in my opinion because we are struggling to understand we 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 do our best and we come to these conclusions but we're not always going to agree so let us respect one another let us not judge one another let's go our way and sometimes it's practice over the beliefs the belief systems can be similar but how we practice them is different and I remember seeing a 14th Presbyterian church once, and I thought, oh, man, they had 13 13 church division splits. Wow. (laughs) Then I saw, no, it was on 14th Street. (laughs) (laughs) But I was going to be my sermon illustration of how Christians cannot get along with each other for 13 unlucky times. Tim, is that a real story? It is. There's a 14th Presbyterian church. I believe it's Indianapolis. Anyway, oh, wow, that's pretty good. So, but I mean, but it, it who was the guy at that staff meeting that was like, I've got it, 14th Street, we should be 14th. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, it's, Tim. It's more fun if I leave off the street on the first day. That's why I said 14th Presbyterian. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think that's just the reality. And I think we can have brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus, but we just don't agree on the practical ramifications of it. And let us go in peace. Let us, and to maybe not demonize and not each demonize other. each other. And remember, <laughs> what I'm accountable is to give my answer to the Lord, mm-hmm. not to defend them, mm-hmm. or to def- I have to give my account to the Lord and let them give their account to the Lord and trust the Lord that they are they are seeking with all their hearts to to apply and interpret and practice to the best of their. Except teachers will be judged more strictly. Yeah, they can be more strictly, but again, if you base it on why, you know, this is why I stand. And if there's a problem with it, then I'm asking God to give me more understanding of how I should look at the scripture differently. It's the attitude, I think. It's the heart. It's the purpose of it. The posture of being willing to Mm. say, hey, I could be wrong on this. Mm. And if I'm wrong, I'm willing to have my Mm. mind changed. Yeah. Mm. Um, again, provided that it's because it's a well-reasoned argument from the yeah. scriptures. 
Yeah, if I have three brothers in Christ come to me and say, Tim, we got a problem with your exegesis, you know, and I'm not, if I'm willing mm -hmm. to look at it, then I think I should listen to that. I can be corrected. I can be encouraged. But as long as we're trying to base it on community and more than myself, I think that's where we risk not getting off base the quickest. Well, so that's why Steve and I had you here today, Tim, to just have it out on a few matters. And okay. Well, it's two to one, so I'm, uh, yeah. I'm kidding. We may we may need to cut this part out, but I'm I gotta I, I want to push back on this. Yeah, feel free to. That's what, your middle name, Steve. What Steve this pushback? Steve pushback Kellerstrass. So <laughs> what I'm hearing is is a very individualistic hmm. um, understanding of of faith being played out here on Earth. Mm -hmm. And so what role does church and community have on even what it is that I believe? So, I mean, it's does is it reasoned from Scripture with my own ability to reason or ex exegete well? Is, it, is there a place for even, I'll say, spiritual fathers or spiritual um, leaders in my life to form me even theologically in my understanding of, of Scripture? Mm -hmm. This is actually an honest question. I, I'm not saying that we war, shouldn't have it. Warn me when they're dishonest next time. So <laughs> well, I, I get ready. well I'm, I'm not saying that because I tend towards the what I believe is what I believe. Sure. And uh, theologically, you know, I'm going to have my own theological convictions and, sure. and not necessarily mm -hmm. always be as concerned with my church mm -hmm. or my denomination or my, uh, I guess, foundation in Protestantism. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just like, what is that relationship? And, and that's, yeah. a, that's a very, we, we are multiple you, steps away from the passage. Can you sum up your question? Because um, I, think, I think I understand it, and I think the answer is yes, but maybe rephrase your question to make sure I was going to say it's yes well, and yes. Just to add more confusion. Yeah, so maybe the way I would phrase it is... What is the relationship between personal... Yeah. I, I guess I guess saying, saying in, the, in the passive-aggressive kind of way, can, can <laughs> be, we really... Hey, be aggressive. <laughs> can we really let, let you get away with uh, saying it's all up to me hmm. in, in terms of faith? I know par part of it is my own conviction from Scripture, but... Do do we does the church play a role in my theological? Um, sure, it does. Oh let, yeah. Let me try totally. to answer. Uh, here's two examples. So I would say that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did was extremely even individualistic. Mm -hmm. We just said they were probably the only ones standing. What about yeah. the other Hebrews? Somebody might have said, "I got to obey Romans." Okay, that's a little bit before that, but you know, I got Babylonians. Obey. <laughs> no, I have to. I have to obey what's written in Romans. It was a joke. Oh. Romans was a rip. <laughs> okay. I have to obey the government. You know, uh, so that was. But they based it on that. I don't care what everybody else does. This is my understanding. I can't bow to the music. Yeah. There might have been. On the other hand, Apostolic Creed, the Apostolic Creed, right, that we recite. That was made by what? Centuries of follow, brother. There's not one thing I'm going to yeah. attempt to change in that. I believe it. I, I'm going to use that as my guide. That's my state of faith. So you have the church and you have individuals. So I think the tension is always there where at some point you have to make your decision for yourself 
but mm. hopefully we do it based on the plethora, the, the, the combined stuff we have from the history of the church and from our forefathers and from statements of creed and from biblical understanding. But even saying that, you are going to have two individual Christians who will not yep. always see the practice. Yeah, and that's not, I think, I think what you drew out, Tim, is huge, is that this isn't just, hey, I found one Bible verse that I think I can just <laughs> right. take to the right. bank and not change my mind on. This is, right. you are bringing together the vast array of the wealth of the wisdom of the knowledge of God between tradition handed down through the church history, plus the... Uh, abundant wisdom found in the scriptures, and I mean, it it can't be just, I got my proof text, and here's where I'm standing. That's where you get mm -hmm. in trouble, cults and individuals and things, because you decide you're the only authority, so it has to be a balance there. Mm -hmm. Does that get at what you were asking, Steve? It does. I think that I generally view my faith as my own faith, hmm. and so, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, in fact, it, it, it's, it's this, uh, I'll just bring it up. I, I love going through the book of Ephesians We're we're going through the Ephesians with the men's study. Um, but, but seeing yourself not only as an individual Christian, but mm. as a part of the body of Christ mm. and that, that it's not just me and Jesus, but it is, I am a part of Jesus body and, and to see myself correctly I don't know <laughs> it, correctly as a part of that body, but I it's I am not individually Jesus' body, um, but I am a part of Jesus' body. Yeah, I think it's really important when you're in Paul's letters to remember that about ninety nine point five percent of the time, when you see the word "you," Paul really means you all, which is collective. Really, yeah. We need Alex here. We need Mr. Alex Bodie here to give the actual expression of it's y'all. Y'all. <laughs> so when you see you in the New Testament, a lot of times, especially if you're in the Pauline epistles, mm -hmm. we're talking y'all. Yeah. So how did we get to Pauline epistles from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because <laughs> it's a, our Jump evangelical in. default. There it is. Oh, there boy. It is. Well, can we go back to the story real quick, Tim? Um, I've got a question just about, um, I want to be careful how I word this. We didn't know that Rackshack and Benny would be so uh, <laughs> be so uh, debatable here. We're, we're bringing up some hard-hitting questions for you, Tim. Well, I, I have been led, been led, I don't even like how I'm beginning to word this. I have begun to understand the story through a lens of civic religion. Because as I understand it, the image that was made by Nebuchadnezzar was an icon of his own power, the power of the empire of Babylon. Um, when he was calling Rack, Shack, and Benny... Yeah, a little like VeggieTales reference. Little VeggieTales for you. It's a lot easier to say that. Yeah. That way. When he was calling everyone to bow down to it, he was asking them to give their allegiance to the empire, mm -hmm. to himself mm -hmm. and to the empire. Mm 
offering. Well, if that's the case, what what are, what are, what, are, what would our response be? I would say, yeah, that would have given pause for them to bow down to it. Uh, an empire, another power apart from Yahweh. I don't know that it's clear, but I've always assumed there was a real close connection between the image being one of him, King Nebuchadnezzar, and his God, because mm-hmm. every king had his, has a God. Mm-hmm. You know, because you remember his his statement um, right before he said, you'll throw them in. Then what God will be able to rescue? Verse 15. If you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able? I've assumed that that indicate he and his God were buddies and they were working together. And, and whether... The, the three guys saw the image as one of him, which well, is worshiping yeah. somebody, or his God. It was so intertwined, they may not have been separate. And exactly, because as as king, he is seen as divine. Exactly. God must have, his God must have blessed him. How else could it be so powerful? Yeah. And when you conquered another king, their, their God was a, a minor God because he let you down. For sure, yeah. I mean, that... His own question, who yeah. will deliver you out of my hands? I mean, he's just drunk on his own power. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good thought. And I don't know if we can distinguish between the, the fear of these men was to bowing down to worship another god or to just worship another person represented by a kingdom. But I'd say that they were entwined enough that it really didn't matter. They knew that this somehow supplanted the first two commandments. Hmm. Have no other god before me. Do not bow down to any idol. That kind of a thing is what I is what I see. Yeah, it's a, a the God here. It seems is a God of power. Yeah, and they're being called to bow down to it. I think so. I had just one yeah, that's all I was going to say. Tim, do you have anything else from I the got, passage? I got one or? other thought, and here I have to be honest. <laughs> I heard a sermon years ago on this by E. V. Hill. Pastor E. V. Hill was a black Baptist pe- preacher out in California, and he he just had a powerful message on this, and so I'm sort of plagiarizing, but not entirely. You know, and he said <laughs> that, you know, that's a good way to view it. <laughs> sort of plagiarizing. Sort of, yeah. I mean, if you own it up front, you're not even really plagiarizing, <laughs> that's right? right? That's it's called right. referencing. But, you know, <laughs> citing your source. <laughs> the part that I'm not plagiarizing is sort of the concluding thought here is. If we do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, what can we expect? What can we expect from God? To me, that's an important question. When you refuse to bow to the music, you don't go along with everybody else at risk to yourself. When you draw a line in the sand and you say, I cannot cross this no matter what, because I'm convinced it's wrong. I will not cross this no matter what the consequences are because it's wrong. When you do it in honor of God, to obey him, to bring glory to him, not for your sake, but for him. You're doing this because my God, and this is what I've always understood Meshach to have said when he was explaining that we can't do this, O king, because our problem is we love our God more, we serve him more. When you do this, what can you expect from God? And I think the answer is that God acts, God responds, and he's pleased. And to kind of summarize what E.V. Hill said, first of all, you're going to get his attention. You're going to get his attention. It doesn't mean that God isn't watching. He's always watching. 
But so often in our lives, I think, we, we pray petty prayers. Excuse me if I offend you, but, you know, Lord, let me get the parking spot right by the door, Kroger's, because I don't want to get wet. When Oh, you'll be okay, my son. You know, you're going to get your food. Mm -hmm. And don't let it rain because I'm having this birthday party. You know, okay, I'm making fun. But we, we, we do those kind of things, you know. And suddenly there's somebody here saying, I am loving my God and I, and I will face death. God is going to respond. Why wouldn't he? It's his honor his name. You're going to have his presence. Not that he's not with us all the time, but as indicated, once they refused to bow to the music, they were thrown in. What happened? God showed up in a remarkable way. Mm. He came into that furnace, whether it was Jesus or the archangel or whatever you want, son of man. God will be with us when we take a stand. And that's enough of a motivation for me to want to be willing to be courageous to do that because God is going to notice. God is going to show up. He will be with me. And I think the third one, you can experience his power. I think there's plenty of testimony that when we make a stand for obeying God, putting something on the line, God shows up. He gives us his presence and he empowers with. People talk about this sense of peace, this sense of um clarity, this sense where suddenly my fear is gone, whether it's, you know, the stories I'm reading in the Book of the Martyrs, uh, there's this new version from 2006 to the present where they're recording the stories of people who have died in India and Iran because of their faith. Um, God will listen, God will come, and I think he will empower us with his presence, with his peace, with his boldness, with his calm. And notice, none of those say that he's going to save us from physical death. Hmm. It might still happen, but it does not deny that he is with us, that we sense him, that he gives us the power to remain true, and however he wants to use that for his glory. We die as a martyr, we walk out of the furnace, and nobody forgets that the God of, of Israel saved them. It works. It's a work. So when we're willing to do that, I think God, we can expect God to do something to help and encourage and nurture and use that beyond just what our stand of faith and bravery is. Well, I think that is a good place to end our time. So thank you, Pastor Tim, for coming in and sharing from Rack, Shack, and Benny, the book of Daniel. And uh, it's been an encouragement to Brandon and I, and I hope that it's been an encouragement to you, the listener. So thanks. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you.